Come on up, man. So, oh, you guys. so you guys see probably my face a lot more than you do his, but Steve is doing so much behind the scenes to make this place happen. Um, I mean, up in the AV booth, I mean, everywhere, helping with putting out refreshments, sharing the word, setting up cameras. I mean, Steve, you, you do so much, man. We just want to honor you and thank you for making the word available to us and giving us a space to just, as you co-labor with God, to give us a space that we can grow spiritually. So thanks for helping us, man. Thanks, Shabbat. I love you. I love you. Well, God bless you guys. <clears throat> thank you very much. You guys are wonderful. You make it easy to serve, right? Like it's just serving family. That's what we do. Um, today, we're going to be talking about love again. <laughs> so, for those of you that have been here more than once, uh, this, is, this is what I talk about a lot. For those of you that haven't been here, this is your first time, welcome. I talk about this a lot. This is not going to be the last time. Um, it's, it's not quite beating a dead horse. Because there's still more to learn, but it may feel like that. But we're going to learn some, some stuff today. And, and you may ask when I'm going to move on to something else. Like, when are you going to teach us about something else, Steve? Um, n- never. It was a short answer. And for two reasons. Number one, um, I know everybody on the teaching schedule team. Um, and I got a good in with, the, with that crew. Uh, so as long as they put me on the schedule, I'll use it as a forum to talk about God's love. Um, But number two, and really the more important reason, is that love is the nature of our God. Um, It is the essential quality and innate disposition of the Creator. And I want to spend the rest of my life learning about that nature, learning about that God, and trying to get as close to that as I possibly can knowing full well that I won't actually understand love in its full context until Jesus Christ returns, but boy, I'm going to just dig after it until then, because there's a lot there. And I think that as a church, and not just grace, but as the body of Christ as a whole, we have a lot more to learn so that we can be more impactful to the world around us with love. And I think that we should embrace what we currently know, but continue to drive after more of a, a, an understanding of what love is, what it looks like, how it behaves. Because while we're in a good place right now with how we love people and what we understand, I feel like we're just a little bit out of reach from greatness. Yeah. Right? It's there. We can see. We've, we've had glimpses of greatness before, but we're not, we're not there you know, and I'm not unthankful for that. I'm really thankful for where we are. I'm really thankful for what we know. I just want a little bit more. <laughs> because God is, God's nature of love is how he has chosen to present himself to the church. And that hasn't always been the case. We're in a unique position in time because after the accomplished works of Jesus Christ, God is now available and has freely given access to himself to us. What happened when Jesus Christ died and was raised again is remarkable. Not only did he make salvation available for us, but he removed the thing that kept us from having access to God, which was sin. Our relationship with God couldn't happen because there was sin. And when Jesus Christ died, his blood covered that sin and removed it. 
So there is no more sin separating you from God. There is no more sin separating you from the true nature of who God is. In Matthew chapter 26, you don't have to turn there, but when Jesus Christ died, it said that the ground shook and the rocks cracked and the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Now the veil in the temple was a real heavy curtain and it separated two areas of the, of the tabernacle. It separated the innermost area, which was called the holiest of holies, and that's where God's presence was represented. And it separated that from the inner part of the temple, and that's where the priest had access to. Okay? So, and this, this curtain, this was, this was not just like a curtain, like you, you know, it wasn't the thickness of a flag, let's say, right? This is a huge piece of fabric that separates not only sight but sound from God and people. Okay? So this is floor to ceiling. It's thick. It's so thick that when the, the priest would have to wear bells on their robes so that because movement, like regular movement, just walking around and being in there couldn't be heard from the outside. So in order for people to hear whether or not there was somebody in there, there were bells to kind of trigger that because you couldn't hear it. That's how thick this was. Okay, when Jesus Christ died, that was torn. That separator of God and man was torn and suddenly God's presence was open and access was granted. Hmm. That separator being removed signified the most remarkable thing in human history, and that is access to God. And that's where we stand. That's a thing that hadn't been available to mankind since Adam and Eve were removed from the garden. Generations and generations of people didn't have the access to God that you and I have today. When you confess Jesus Christ is your Lord and that God raised him from the dead, like it instructs us to in Romans 10, you are saved. Your life is saved. It is sealed by God. Access has been granted. And as if that weren't enough, your life then is recreated and made new in Jesus Christ. The sin that was removed is no longer present. Your past is no longer present. Your mistakes are no longer present. Your history is no longer present. You are new at that moment. And that newness that you're created in, that blamelessness that you're created in is for one sole purpose, guys. It's so that you become the suitable display for God's true nature. You, you, okay? I'm talking to every single person in this room. I don't, I'm, this is a message for the church, sure, but I want to talk to, to you. I want to talk 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 to Gary. I want to talk to Gary all the time. I want to talk to you back in the corner there, Steve. You were created as a suitable display case for God's love. Jesus Christ has prepared you to be that thing. We reflect God's nature to the people around us now. That's our job. It's to love people. And love is more than being generous. Being generous is great. Being kind is wonderful. 
And we'll look at some of the, the hallmarks and the, uh, the benchmarks of what love is in a little bit. But there is more to love. It is more than a response to feeling. And so we're going to continue to press into that. Because our lives is a reflection of God's true nature are meant to be both involved, amazing, powerful, and impactful. Because we display that nature. So we talk about love again. <clears throat> and it's with that. Long intro, cheesy peace. Here we go. Love people, love God, serve the world. Has anybody heard this phrase before? Okay. It's part of our mission statement here. And when our leadership team put that into our mission statement, I genuinely thought that was a unique message from God for this household. I really did. I thought we, like, I, I know that I'm not smart enough to come up with that because it's just, it's like the right amount of catchy, you know? It's like somebody with a marketing background had some influence there, but like, it's not selling, it's, you know, love God, love people, serve the world. Whew, just sounds good. Sounds like it should be on a shirt, right? So we sat in a room, we, we decided, okay, we're going to make this part of our mission statement because this is really what we want to go after. And that, that phrase of loving God, loving people, serving the world is really what I believe in part launched us into this, this realm of discipleship and building disciples of Jesus Christ that we're in, recent, um, in currently. But I have found, since we made that statement, our own, that um, it is not unique to this church. I have seen that phrase monikered in half dozen churches in the last two weeks, for sure. Like, I've seen other churches with that, with that on their shirts, and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. We should have done that. We didn't choose that, though, because we saw it in another church. We chose that because it's true, and it's what we wanted to commit to. What I have noticed is not that two churches had a good idea together. It's that two churches looked to God for direction, and God gave them direction. This is a sign that these, these people, these churches, these groups, God is unifying his church he is uniting his family. He is bringing together everyone that is a disciple of Jesus Christ under one banner, and that is love. Love God, love people, serve the world. You can't serve without love. You can't help people grow without being able to love them appropriately. So God's work is love. Like That's the direction that ship is moving in. And I'm on it, so hang out with us, because you'll be on it too. It's good. Go to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to have verses on the wall, but I like to read. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says, So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us God is love. That is a statement, people. God is love. Okay? And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Love is the nature of our God. I've said that a bunch. I'm going to say it a bunch more. You just get used to hearing that. Love is the nature of God. His, his essential quality, his innate 
uh, disposition. That's what, that's what nature is. That's the definition if you look it up on Wikipedia, which I did. The essential quality of ice, for example, is water. If you take water away, you don't have ice, right? Okay, so the essential nature of a thing, okay, the essential nature of your God is love. Mm-hmm. Um, go to 1 Corinthians. The, uh, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13. The nature of God is not a response, right? We think that, uh, or I, I have thought in the past that loving people is how you respond, when in fact love is uh, very forward and, and proactive. Um, because love isn't a response, it's a condition. It's the motivator to do well. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let me get there. We're going to start in verse 4. We're going to look at some of the attributes of love. Now, these, you, you'll find attributes of love and examples of it all throughout the scriptures. They are not contained right here in these four verses. This is where we're going to hang out for today. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not insistent on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And the first part of verse 8 says, love never ends. Okay? The nature of love, God's essence, is patience and kindness. And that's unenvious. It's not boastful. God is not arrogant, he is, which means he's a humble God. The opposite of arrogant is, humi- is humility. Okay? So if God is not an arrogant God, God is a humble God. God does not insist on his own way. How many of you had a choice to come here today? Every one of us. And we made the decision to come here today. God did not insist on you being here today. Now, he may have impressed on your spirit that, hey, you should go check this out. Steve's good at talking. But, (laughs) maybe. I don't know. I don't know what he told you. (laughs) But God God uh, will allow you that the freedom to make your own decision. He is not going to impress on you his will when, and you have no control over it. He's not irritable. You know what irritable means? It means annoyed. Um, we've all been there, right? <laughs> Especially if you have kids. Um, we know what it's like to be annoyed. We just know that, that, that like, ugh, won't this be over? I just... You, you know what it feels like. You just know that. God is not annoyed. And praise God for that because I am sure today I've given him more than enough reason to just be annoyed. But here he is, just a patient God, full of love, full of kindness, not annoyed. God obviously does not rejoice in wrongdoing, which means that he's not a malicious God. And he rejoices in truth. Now, the thing about God's nature and the thing about this section of scripture that I love so wonderfully is that you can change this word love as you read it and the word it to God. And that puts a whole new spin on this whole section of scripture. So let's read it again. Ready? Here we go. Verse four. God is patient and kind. God does not envy or boast. God is not arrogant or rude. God does not insist on his own way. God is not irritable or resentful. God does not rejoice in wrongdoing. God rejoices in the truth. 
God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. And God endures all things. <laughs> this verse 7, I do want to go over a little bit. I don't want to get too far in the weeds because it's, um, it's pretty deep. Uh, and we don't really have time for that this morning. But it does warrant some explanation. Um, but, and, and I promise we'll come back to this verse another time and look at it in, in a lot of depth because there's a lot we can learn. Um, but I do want to provide some understanding specifically around the words, bears, believes, hopes, endures, and all things. Um, and I want to talk about what all things refers to. I had a prop, but I've left it. So we're just going to make believe I have a deck of cards, Okay. Now, all things means um, all types, all parts of the whole, uh, or all parts as constituting the whole, okay? So if I had a deck of cards, and I, ha- and I fan them all out in my hand, I would have all the cards, right? So the reason I'm explaining this is because when we start to uh, see what applies to all things in terms of believing and hoping and enduring and um, Thank you. Bearing. Jeez. Just brain fart. Um, <laughs> we need to understand that it applies to all of the things. Okay? So if I had all the cards in my hand and then I took two out and I put them down here, do I have all the cards? No, I don't have all things. Right? So then I pick up two cards and I put them back in the deck and then I have the whole deck. Right? Okay. That's what all things is. Now we're going to work this backwards. We're going to start with all things and then we're going to go to enduring next and just get an overview of what this word means. <clears throat> the word endure means to remain after others have left. To, be a, to have a brave bearing up against a suffering. So, while you're in the thick of it, right? While you're in a trial, and it feels like you're not going anywhere, you'll endure, because you know you're going to come out of that thing, right? And you know that God's grace is on the other side of that trial. In Matthew chapter 26, go there. Um, it says, while he was this talking, um, this is when Jesus is arrested, while he was still speaking, Judas came out of, uh, of the twelve, and with him a great crowd of, with swords and clubs, and the chief priests and the elders of the people. And, and then the betrayer came, and he had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once, and he said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And verse 50, Jesus said to him, Friend, what do, you co- uh, do what you came to do. Then they came up and they laid his hands on him and seized him. And behold, one of them who was there with Jesus stretched out his hand and he drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest and he cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place. So this is Jesus Christ reproving somebody that was helping him or thought they were helping him, okay? This isn't like Jesus Christ is getting all, you know, Getting, getting into somebody's face that, that rightfully deserves it, right? He's reproving the guy that just is like, I'm just trying to help here, you know? Hmm. So he says, put your sword away, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? That at the hour that Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against the robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. So when we talk about enduring, right? Jesus Christ knew what was about to happen. 
He had an out. He had 12 angels of angels. He could have called down and made that place a shiny little glass parking lot. That's, sand turns to glass when it gets super hot. He could have, but he didn't. He endured. Why? So that the scripture might be fulfilled. See, love endures, even when it's inconvenient, even when there's an out, even when you don't have to. Love endures all things. Let's go to the next one, hopes. Now, hope, we know, is a well-grounded expectation of a future good. That's the biblical definition of that word, hope. Right? So when we talk about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Talk about Christ being in you, and and there in that is a prospect of goodness to come. And that goodness to come is glory. That's God's glory. Love, hoping in all things, in all situations, in all circumstances. Love has a well-grounded expectation of good to come out of that. Love hopes all things. Now believes all things. This one, I'll I'll admit, I was a little stuck on because, like, I don't believe all things. Right? And I want to be love. Right? I'm the display case of God's nature. And so if God's nature is to believe all things, then I need to understand what it means to believe because I, I will not be easily led by the nose. So what does this mean, believe? Well, to believe is a fully convinced acknowledgement. That you're not filtering through a, a, a lens of hesitation or hedged bets or sarcasm. Love, then, believes without a filter of cynicism or sarcasm. So if you're going to tell me something, and I'm going to receive it in love, then I am going to receive it and think that there is no reason for you to lie to me. So you're not lying to me. I have no reason to believe you would tell me something untrue. That's what believing all things looks like. We are, well, I am trying to come off this lifestyle of cynicism and and, um, filtering everything through a pragmatic lens. You know, I want to prepare for the best, but expect the worst. And I just can't find that in Scripture at all. I can't justify that behavior anymore because now I understand what believes all things means. When I start to hedge my bets... What I'm really doing is hedging God's ability. So, I believe all things. And now bears all things. To bear is to cover or conceal. And there's a couple different ways that you can look at this word. It depends on the context and and how it's being used, but it's either going to cover and conceal, like you're covering something up, or it's, it's to cover in the way that you would provide protection to something. Okay, so uh, an example of this first example, uh, an example of this first usage um, to cover up would be Proverbs chapter 10. So Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 12 says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. In the King James, that word offenses is sins. So love covers sins, okay? That is, think about a sin against you, right? Somebody makes a mistake, hurts your feelings, upsets you, whatever, intentionally or otherwise. There's a sin committed against you. How are you going to handle that? Love conceals that. 
right? You don't have to take to the internets and let everybody know how you were wronged. Because love doesn't do that. Love just covers it. Love handles it not by highlighting it publicly or, and reproving or following up with floggings, but concealing and dismissing it because love covers. Because it's not the big thing. It's not the main thing. It's not the important thing. Because it doesn't matter. Another word for this word bear is to provide a shelter. And Psalm 91, we'll start in verse 2. David writes, I will say to the Lord, my God, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Verse 3, for he will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from deadly pestilence. And he will cover me with his pinions or feathers. And under his wings, I will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Love covers and provides a shelter under wings behind shields. Love covers and believes and hopes in the very best in every person, in every situation, no matter what. Approaching a person or a situation with pragmatism based on what we can understand is a myopic approach that limits God's ability to be involved in that situation. And the reason that love bears all things and believes all things is because it allows God room in the situation. It allows God a chance to be God and transform what we understand. Love is so multifaceted and dynamic that it, it's too large even for a simple definition because it can change so radically. It can go from covering up and concealing a mistake or a hurt to covering up and protecting against. This very nature of love and all its dynamic, multifaceted variation is what we have been created in newness to display. You could have been redeemed by the blood of Christ and not been transformed. It's very true. You could, you could be just a, a sealed sinner, right? Like, you just... You've got your history. It's always your history. That's your baggage. Uh, you don't need to display God's love because he's going to take care of it in another way. And so while you are saved, that's it. You're not new. But that's not what God did. That's not why Jesus Christ sacrificed himself. You were redeemed and made new and made this perfect, shiny display case for God's pure nature to just shine through you to the people around you. Love is what Jesus Christ in John told the disciples that they were supposed to show people. He said, you know what, let's just go there. In John chapter 13. Sorry, Carolyn, this is off the cuff. No slide. <laughs> All right. Yeah, John chapter 13, verse 34. said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people. Remember that deck of cards. All people, right? All of them. Not, not a group laying off to the side. 
not the four that you've picked up, and those are going to be your cards. All, all people, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Hmm. Works can be explained away, right? Miracles can have a, 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 a miracles can be a double-edged sword for sure. You know, somebody can believe that God healed you, or so, somebody can see that same miracle and just believe, well, that's how the body is supposed to work. But the way that you react, the way that you live your life in love can't be explained. People are going to look at you and just go, I don't get it. It's weird. Doesn't make sense. It's weird. Don't have an, don't have an explanation for it. Because that's true love. That's what real love is. Can't be explained away. Real love, the kind that would bless, when, when you would bless someone that's spitefully using you, that's real love. Real love, like when Jesus Christ laid down his life knowing that he was dying for people he didn't know. That's real love. <laughs> real love, the nature of the true God that's in you today. Works will pass. Knowledge will pass. It says that in First, uh, first Corinthians. Let's go back to First Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians 13, verse 8, says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect one comes, the partial will pass away. Right? Knowledge will pass, prophecies will pass, actions will pass. But the way you live and the way you impact the people around you won't. <laughs> the NIV version of um, this section of scripture in verse 5 says that love keeps no record of wrongs. <laughs> you imagine the freedom in not holding people accountable for their actions against you? You know that's not your job anyway? Like, it's not. <laughs> like, my job is to love people. Now, if you don't want to do your job, that's fine. I can't control you, though. My job is to love people. And I know that my response to a situation is going to now be loving because I understand love. And so it doesn't matter what you do or what you say against me because it doesn't matter. I'll conceal it forever. I'll never tell a soul because it doesn't matter. Love matters. And love is the thing that doesn't pass away. It endures all things. It hopes all things. It believes all things. It bears all things. Before Jesus Christ was arrested, he instructed his disciples to love one another because it was by that love that they would be recognized. To this point, Jesus Christ was how people recognized the followers of Jesus Christ, right? Be like, oh, there goes Jesus and all his buddies. I don't know if you know this or not, but Aramaic and Greek uh, accents sound very much like the Midwest. <laughs> Galilee is like the economa walk of the Middle East. Uh, Jesus knew that soon he wouldn't be leading these people, though. And so he needed to give them a banner, some way to set them apart, because he wasn't going to be there. And that banner is love. He said love. Love everyone. Do it in such a way that people take notice. 
Because that's how they're going to know that you're following me, even though I'm not here. It's no different today. Love is our job. As disciples of Jesus Christ, love is our job. We love one another. We love our neighbor. We love our enemy. We just love. Love, levity, love, love. We just love. Because it's your job. We display the nature and patience and kindness of our God in love because that's what he is and it's how we were created to be. And you can't be swayed by people's attitude when you do your job, right? Anybody in customer service will tell you this. You got a bad attitude on the phone, people are going to hear it. You call Comcast ever? You know. You know who's having a bad day right off the bat, right? But you don't get to have a bad day because somebody else is having a bad day. Circumstances don't change your job, not even a little bit. Jesus said, love your neighbor, that's what you're going to do. Jesus said, love your enemy, that's what you're going to do, because that's your job. And that's why, it's under, that's why it's so important that we understand what love really is, what it looks like and where the lines are, so that we can do it the right way, so that as we display God and as we become impactful disciples of Jesus Christ, we are impacting people the right way in the right kind of love. God so loved that he gave. Jesus Christ so loved that he gave. You can so love that you give. Okay? I love you guys. <clears throat> Father, ooh, God, we just love you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you for the examples that you give us in your word of how to love people. We thank you, God, that it's not our job to exact revenge, but that we can, no matter what, love that's what you've built us to do. That's what you've designed us to do. So, Father, we just ask that you would continue to lead us into a, a, better, a better and clearer understanding of what that looks like um, so that we can be impactful to the world around us. We give you praise and glory this day. In the night, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you guys.